0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church. Well, again, we're in 1 Corinthians. If you'd like to turn there in your own copy of Scripture, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's page 952 in the Pew Bible right in front of you, 952. Do you guys know, like, when I do my sermon prep, I just find things, right? I just come across stories that are interesting to me that that are useless to you, but I'm gonna share them anyway. One of them was this past week, uh, I stumbled across an interesting story about Samuel F.B. Morse, who was the inventor of the telegraph. And so he was being interviewed by a man named George Harvey. And during the interview, George inquired. He said, Professor Morse, when you were making your experiments at the university, Did you ever come to a standstill, not knowing what to do next? And Morse responded, he said, I've never discussed this with anyone, so the public knows nothing about it. But now that you ask me, I'll tell you frankly, I prayed for more light. And then the interviewer then asks, and did God give you the wisdom and knowledge you needed? And Morse answered, yes, he did. That's why I never felt I deserved the honors that came to me from America and Europe, because of the invention that was associated with my name. I made a valuable application to the electrical power, but it was all through God's help. It wasn't because I was superior to other scientists. When the Lord wanted to bestow this gift on mankind, he had to use it on someone, and I'm just grateful that he chose to reveal it to me. It's no surprise that on May 24, 1844, the inventor's very first message over the telegraph was, What hath God Rot. In other words, what wonders God has done. Isn't that pretty cool? Church, Morris was a man who had the right perspective on life. He was a man who recognized that apart from the Lord, his accomplishments and achievements weren't worth much. He was a man who understood that his life story was meant to give God glory. And you know, Church, just like Morse, each one of us has our own wonderful story. Not necessarily a story about an invention, but a story about salvation. If you're a born-again believer, then you have your own wonderful story of how Jesus saved your soul. You have your own wonderful story of how Jesus radically changed your life. And you can attest, just as Morse did, that your story isn't about what you did. It's about what God did for you. Amen? Your salvation cannot be attributed to your own wisdom or your own works, nor can you or anyone else take credit for it. It was all God's doing. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Church, that is the mantra of every single believer in this room today. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I like what Shane Pruitt said. He said, The great I am changed who I am. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I'm seeing. I was an orphan, now I'm a child of God. I was separated from God, now I'm one with God. I was broken, now I'm a new creation. I was dead, now I am alive. Thankfully, the great I am changed who I am. I have a question. How many of you are thankful that the great I am changed who you are? Say, I am. am. Amen. I am as well. Well, church, this morning, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians the Apostle Paul is going to give the Corinthian believers and us a much-needed reminder that the spiritual transformation that occurred in their lives was all God's doing. And he did it all so that through their faith story and ours, he alone would get the glory. And so let's pray and ask that God would get the glory this morning as I preach his word. Lord God, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be up here and to uh, depend on you, Lord, Really, to depend on you as I open up your word to do a work in the hearts of your people that only you could do. And so, Father, I pray I would get out of your way, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, through your word, to your people. And God, that we would leave here wanting to glorify you more than anything else. And all God's people said, Amen. So before jumping into today's text, let me just kind of remind you of where we're at in our context here. If you remember, the first century Corinthian culture was one that was built on human wisdom and philosophy and intellect. And to them, life was all about the pursuit of degrees and enlightened thinking. There were as many philosophies as there were philosophers, and every one of them had their own viewpoints on where we came from and why we're here and where we're going and what's right and wrong, the whole nine yards. Well, instead of standing alone on the true source of wisdom, which is the word of God, The Corinthian believers allowed this big headed thinking to enter into the church. Friends, do you know what happens when you drop a Mentos candy inside a bottle of Diet Coke? If you don't, you should try it sometime. Just don't stand right next to it. It blows up, it blows up, right? Well, the same is true when you drop human wisdom inside the church, it makes a mess, it blows things up, it causes problems. Needless to say, the church in Corinth was a mess and we're gonna see that over the, the course of our study They were a mess. And and in this case, instead of boasting about the absolute truth of God's word, they boasted and they glorified in human ability and power and wisdom and insight. They were making it more about them than they were about God. And so the Apostle Paul gave them a reality check. So let's begin by reading the whole passage. We're just going to look at a few verses, uh, verses 26 through 31, and then we'll break it down. Follow along with me. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Most of us are familiar with the phrase, steal my thunder, right? But if I were a betting man, I would bet most of you don't know where that phrase came from. So let me enlighten you. The phrase is said to originate with a man named John Dennis, who was a successful, unsuccessful playwright in the 1700s. As the story goes, he created this new method for making the sound of thunder that he wanted to use in his latest production. However, his play quickly flopped and it was shut down and it was replaced by the well-known play Macbeth, which ended up using the sound of thunder that he created in their play. And so furious, Dennis reportedly said, The villains will play my thunder, but not my play, which eventually became known as They Steal My Thunder. You're welcome. More useless information for you to enjoy. Church, the Corinthian believers were stealing God's thunder by elevating their own skill and wisdom and intellect. They took away the honor and the attention and the credit that belonged to God and God alone for calling them to salvation which in God's eyes is a big no-no. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that's my name and my glory, guess what? I give it to no other. And so in today's passage, the Apostle Paul set out to correct their faulty thinking in order that they may, may give glory where glory is due. So I took the liberty of breaking today's passage down into four points, four realities regarding God's calling to salvation. Let's begin by looking at the first. Number one, God saves the fools. God saves the fools. And I have fools in quotes for a reason. But look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. It was past weekend. Anybody wake up early yesterday to watch the king being coronated? (laughs) <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> See, we in America, we don't care. We just don't care. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we don't care. Well, anyway, I accidentally woke up yesterday morning and, and, turn, and it, they, actually my kids had it on for some reason. So I watched the king doing his thing. But anyway, this spectacle, which dates back more than 100 years, it featured great pomp and circumstance and pageantry and symbolism. And the guest list was exclusive, featuring hundreds of heads of state along with royalty from all over the world. And yes, the average Joe, the average spectators were able to watch the event, uh, but most had to watch it from the outside looking in. See, only the somebodies, the bigwigs, the high and mightiest, were personally invited to the big kingdom event. Well, God, on the other hand, is no respecter of persons. He invites all types of people to be part of his kingdom. It's for this reason Paul began by telling the Corinthian believers, consider your calling. He wanted them to consider their own salvation stories. Why? Because most of Paul's listeners weren't intellectual superstars. They didn't possess the most impressive degrees or wisdom or riches. In the world's eyes, they were the fools. They were the nobodies. Like Paul's like, guys, look at where you came from. Let's, do you really want to take credit for God's... I mean... There were nobodies in the eyes of the world. however, God made them somebodies when they believed the message of the cross. John 1:12 says, "But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in His name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, children of God. Paul's point was that God doesn't value the same things that the world values. He's not impressed with human wisdom. Or philosophy, or achievement. He's not impressed with power, or prestige, or wealth. He's not impressed with the somebody's great. You might be somebody in this world. Congratulations. God doesn't care. God's impressed with humility. Humility. Charles Swindoll said, "The world looks for heroes, but God seeks the humble." In fact, without humility, people can never come to know the one true God. You know that? doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how high and mighty you are. without humility, you can never get to know the one true God." In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 11:25, he said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of Heaven and Earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children." Now church, this statement isn't a knock on education. It's a knock on prideful people who think they could figure life out without God. Or they could do life without God. Simply put, God will gladly hide the answers from people who don't think they need him. Well, maybe not gladly, but he'll hide the answers from them. On the other hand, those who humble themselves and declare their need for God, God's going to reveal the truth. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And so all this to say, God saves a person not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. I like what Tony Evans said. He said, if you have low self-esteem, come from humble beginnings, have experienced significant struggles, or are despised by the in crowd, then you're a choice candidate to be used by God for his kingdom program. That's good news, isn't it? And this brings us to the second reality. God saves the fools, he shames the wise. He shames the wise. Look at verses 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. You guys, he's talking about you, you know, the the, the believers. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In a movie, Indiana Jones, maybe you guys remember this, in the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Indiana Jones went on this journey to find the Holy Grail. Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. I'm going to give you the end of the movie. Here's the deal. It was like 1989, okay? If you have not seen the movie, sorry. (sighs) I mean, come on, it's 1989. But anyway, at the end of the movie, he found himself in this room filled with all these Holy Grails, right? And now, if he chose to drink from the correct grail, he would live. And if he chose to drink from the incorrect grail, he was gonna die. And so his enemy wanted to choose first, and the enemy chose, and they picked the most attractive grail in the whole bunch. However, after drinking from it, it turned out to be a foolish decision because he quickly shriveled up and died. Now, when it was Indy's turn to choose, he chose the most basic-looking grail of the whole bunch. And after drinking from it, it turned out to be the wisest decision because he lived. And he was able to save his father, and everybody drove, you know, rode off into the sunset. And that was the last crusade until they made the last movie and the next one that's coming uh, in, in a month. But church, the unbelieving world drinks from the cup of intelligence, wealth, prestige, position, thinking that's going to give them life and power, and wisdom, and purpose. And even though, man, that, looks, that cup looks so attractive, in the end, it's foolishness. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to what? Death. On the other hand, those who drink from the cup of Christ, those who embrace the simplicity of the gospel, those who accept the message of Christ crucified, in God's eyes, they are the ones who are truly wise. They're the ones that are given true life and power and wisdom and purpose. Look what Jesus said in John 4.14. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful picture of life and vibrancy? Church, I don't know if you realize this, but this message is about as countercultural as it gets. This is like bizarro world to most of the unbelieving world. When they hear our message, this is just nuts. This is foolishness. It was countercultural then, it's countercultural now. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said, the message and miracle of God's grace in Jesus Christ utterly confounds the high and mighty people of this world. They don't get it. The wise of this world, they cannot understand how God changes sinners into saints and the mighty of this world are helpless to duplicate the miracle. God's foolishness confounds the wise, and God's weakness confounds the mighty. Church, we've all been there. We've all heard stories. You're, you, you're actually one of those stories of like, if you knew me before I knew Jesus, there's no way you think I'd ever come to know Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just mind-blowing how God can take somebody who's, who's a complete mess and make their life a message because he saves their soul. And people in the world, they just don't get it. They don't get how that happens. You know why they don't get it? Because it's supernatural. It's God's work in your life. And they don't wanna wanna give the credit to Jesus, but they don't understand how that happens otherwise. It's craziness, it's mind-blowing. But here's the deal: do you know what? God intended it that way. God intended it that way. He intended it that way so that he could level the playing fields. He intended it that way so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, no human being could say that their personal academics or achievements or accolades helped them secure eternal life. Eternal life is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't do a thing. It's a gift from God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Why? Not because of the righteous things we had done. We didn't do anything. But because of his mercy. And so all this to say, church, when it comes to salvation, we need to remember that Jesus did all the work. We're just blessed to be the recipients. Jesus made the way. We're just blessed to have chosen his way. Jesus paid the price. We're just blessed to have been given the price. And this brings us to the third reality. God supplies the benefits. Supplies the benefits. Look at verse 30. And because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, when a person is looking for a new job, their salary is obviously an important factor, plays an important factor. Uh, However, in addition to a good salary, excuse me, what often seals the deal are the perks or the benefits of the job. There are many jobs that offer special benefits in the form of health insurance, gym memberships, paid time off, parental leave, tuition reimbursement, and much more, you're like, where's that job at? I want that job. But, of course, most people are happy just having a secure position somewhere. However, if you're fortunate enough to enjoy some special benefits, it makes your position that much more enriching. Well, as believers, we have a secure position in Christ, which in and of itself is a great blessing. However, our position in Christ also comes with special benefits from Christ, which enriches our overall walk with Christ. And the Apostle Paul provides four of these benefits. Let's uh, look at this. We'll look at them really quickly. Number one is God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Colossians 2 3 says, In him, in God, in Jesus, lie all the, the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, we're given this ability to understand God's wisdom. Many of you might remember in, in August 21st, 2017, there was a solar eclipse um, happened outside because, well, that's where eclipses happen, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> I just remember being here at the church watching it, watching it happen. But anyway, um, maybe it happens inside too, I don't know. But anyway, if you remember, they were giving out special glasses uh, that you needed to, to wear in order to view the event properly. In fact, you really couldn't view the events properly without the glasses because you had to stare directly into the sun. And so, church, the difference between seeing the light and being blinded by the light was based upon what lens you viewed it through. We see when a person places their faith in Jesus, it's like they're given this pair of divine sunglasses. They're given God's wisdom, which enables them to see life through the proper lenses. Now, you don't just automatically see things the way God sees things. You know, it happens over the course of time, but you're given this ability through his Holy Spirit to read his word and discern his word and then start seeing the world through the eyes of Christ. And the more that you spend your time in God's word and learning what his wisdom is, it changes how you see the world. And it gives you power. And it gives you everything you need to live your life. In fact, don't take my word for it. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why? Through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. How many of you are thankful for God's wisdom? Say amen. The second benefit is God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be no sin. Or to be to, Take a breath, Butash. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, because of sin, every human being owes a debt to God that we can never ever repay. And so God, in his great love, sent Jesus to pay for us. He did so by taking your sins and my sins upon himself when he died on the cross. He became guilty of your sins and my sins while he hung on the cross. And that's only half the story. See, not only did Jesus take your unrighteousness upon himself, but he offers to give you his righteousness in exchange. Jesus offers to empty the sin out of your spiritual bank account and replace it with his righteousness. For those who accept Christ's offer, for those who place their faith in Jesus, God no longer sees their sin. He only sees Christ's sinlessness. Get this, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are not guilty of your sins anymore. How many of you are thankful for God's righteousness? Say amen. Next is God's sanctification. God's sanctification. You know, one of the newer techniques in dental care is this thing called Invisalign. My kids use Invisalign. And, and basically, there are custom molds for your mouth that, if regularly worn and replaced, over time will straighten out your teeth. However, you need to commit to the process in order to see any progress. If you only wear the Invisaligns just once in a while, it's not going to make much of a difference. Well, when a person places their faith in Jesus, God has a process for straightening out their lives. We call this process the process of sanctification. And to be sanctified is to be set apart or to be made holy because the aim of every believer is to look more like Jesus. 1 Peter 1.16 says, For since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now look, left to our own strengths and abilities, we could never, ever, ever overcome the sinful habits and the hang-ups and the hurts that plague us. However, in Christ, we are given the power to change. Sure, we're going to face many setbacks and challenges along the way. And just like Invisaligns, my kids, every once in a while, like, my my mouth hurts. Yeah, sometimes the process of sanctification is going to hurt you a little bit. But in the end, it's going to straighten you out. If you stay committed to the process, the Lord will be faithful to give you progress. And little by little, you're going to look more like Jesus. How many many of you guys want to look more like Jesus? Say amen. 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 And this leads us to the To the fourth benefit, God's redemption. God's redemption. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, to redeem means to buy back. To buy back. The moment when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, they are set free from the bondage of sin and they're given the free gift of eternal life. Jesus buys us back from, from the slavery of sin and gives us that freedom in him. And this purchase, by the way, it's permanent. There's no returns. Jesus doesn't have some kind of receipt where he can return you after he purchases you. It doesn't work that way. Once you're a bot, it's over. No refunds. You're part of the family of God. You can never lose your salvation, church. Ephesians 4.30 says, Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. How many of you are thankful for the assurance of your salvation? Say amen. Amen. So church, needless to say, these are just a few of the many benefits of being a believer in Jesus. However, we must remember that we enjoy these benefits, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done. And this brings us to the fourth reality. God God secures the glory. Look at verse 31. So that, why, why did God do all these things? Why did he save the fools and shame the wise and, and supply the benefits? Why? So that he can secure the glory. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. A story is told of a pastor who was walking past a pet shop one day when he noticed a sign in the window that said Christian horse for sale. And so being that the pastor owned a large ranch, he was immediately curious and he went into the shop. Well, the owner took the pastor out to the back and he saw this beautiful Arabian stallion. And he agreed to allow the pastor to take a test run. And so the pastor grabbed the reins and yelled, giddy up, but the horse ignored him. And the owner said, no, 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 listen, this is a Christian horse. If you want him to move, you must say, praise the Lord. And if you want him to stop, you must say, amen. So the pastor, okay, so he did what he was told. He said, praise the Lord, and the horse started walking leisurely. And then he said, amen, and the horse stopped. And so after practicing a few more times, the pastor saddled up the horse and said, praise the Lord, and went off riding into the countryside. Well, suddenly the horse saw a rattlesnake crossing the path and frightened the horse, kicked it into high gear, and he bolted straight for a cliff. And the pastor cried, whoa, but the horse only ran faster. And then in vain, the pastor tried one word after the other, but the horse wouldn't stop. And finally, he remembered the word. He said, amen, and the horse came to a screeching halt right before the cliff. And the pastor was so thrilled his life had been saved. He raised his hands to the sky, and he said, praise the Lord. (laughs) Some of you are still getting that, so I'm just letting it happen. But church, time to come back, all right? Tell that joke at lunch to somebody, okay? But anyway, in all seriousness, the phrase, praise the Lord. The phrase, praise the Lord, should be the number one phrase in a Christian's vocabulary. Why? Because anything that's good in our lives, in particular, our salvation is because of him. We didn't earn it, deserve it, achieve it, or win it. We didn't win God's wisdom. We didn't win God's righteousness or sanctification or redemption. It was all God's doing so that he alone should get the glory through us. To boast in the Lord is really to boast of the Lord. It's to boast in who he is and what he's done, and what he's promised to do. It's deflecting all attention off ourselves and onto him. It makes me think of John the Baptist when he says, I must decrease and he must increase. Jeremiah, great couple of verses here in the Old Testament. Jeremiah nine twenty-three 23-24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So church, with all that being said, let me just close with this this one thought. The saving work that God did in your life was an extension of his everlasting love and mercy and grace. And so when you leave here today and go about your day and go about your week, let me encourage you to tell others of the mighty works he's done in your life. Brag about the awesomeness of Jesus. Boast in his greatness. Give credit where credit is due. When somebody compliments you, your response ought to be praise the Lord. Use your story to give God glory. Matthew 5, 16 says, says, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify you? No way. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Even the unbelieving world, they may not understand that, but they're like, I don't know, something about this Jesus. This guy's a Jesus freak, and there's some Jesus stuff happening in his life, and he's speaking Jesus over his family and all this kind of stuff. He's even singing about it. But all I can tell you is like something's going on and Jesus has, has something to do with that guy over there. You know what? Jesus just got the glory. Even from, the unbelie- from a believer's perspective. See your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How about it? Amen? Amen? Now if you're here today and you don't have your own story, if you don't have your own faith story because you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that could all change right now. Your story, your new life story could begin today. In fact, if you desire to be saved today, if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be a somebody in the eyes of the Lord, if you desire to have your own story for God's glory, all you must do right here, right now, is admit that you're a sinner before the Lord and repent of your sin asking God to forgive you and then place your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can do that even right now. In the quietness of your seat, simply call out to him in prayer and ask him to save you. And listen, I promise he will because his word says he will. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have any questions about that, you want to know a little bit more about what it means to to allow God to write your story and to save your soul, you can come talk with me after, after the service today. But as we close, we're going to close by worshiping God, giving him glory, giving glory where glory is due. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward. Also, if you're here this morning and you're part of the prayer team, I'd like you to come forward as well. And if you need prayer uh, over something that's going on in your life, you'd like somebody to pray for you, we'll have some members of of the prayer team up front after the service. You can feel free to come forward and they'll pray over you. So let me just close our time out and then we'll sing. Father God, I want to thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, for the beautiful, wonderful reminder this morning that that you saved us. You have given us the gift of eternal life. The work was all yours, and the reward belongs to us, and we praise you for that truth. So, God, help us to leave here and give you glory with how we live our own life story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.